Hey, would you um, please turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5? Uh, our passage this morning is verses 16 through 26. Uh, for the first four chapters of this book, this, this letter, the Apostle Paul has been on repeat, has he not? Uh, he's been writing to the young Christians who are scattered throughout the churches of Galatia, and he's been writing this, brothers and sisters, don't believe the lies of the Judaizers. The Judaizers were the, were the false teachers who had traveled to Galatia from Jerusalem, and Paul has been on repeat, don't believe their lies that you must perform parts of the Old Testament law in order to be forgiven and accepted by God. Don't believe the lie that Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't enough in and of itself to secure your salvation and your right standing before God. And Paul's message is the same to us today. He's saying, dear Worcesterites, <laughs> we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and all you must do is understand that there's nothing left to do. <laughs> Simply put your Repentant trust in this promise that by his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ has already done everything needed to grant you and I forgiveness from your sin and eternal life with him. Praise God. Now, if you believe this good news, this gospel, that's what gospel means, good news. If you believe this good news, well, then right where you stand or right where you sit, rather, you sit fully justified, fully pleasing, and fully accepted by our holy creator God in heaven. Hallelujah. For in Christ Jesus, Paul reminded us last week in chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. There's no works of the law that count for anything in our endeavor to find God's favor. Only faith. It's that simple. It's, it's only faith which, of course, proves itself out. It demonstrates itself through a love for God and others. We can't just say we have faith. Faith will show itself. The theme of chapter 5, though, has, is, has most certainly been so far this idea of gospel freedom. You know, Paul just saying, Christians, we are to be freed from the burden of thinking that we must somehow earn God's favor through works of the law. Chapter 5, verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We we looked a bit at what that means last week. It means this, don't you dare take this freedom from Christ and run right back into the chains of legalism. Don't you dare put back on this heavy yoke of trying to earn by your moral behavior the grace that God simply desires to give you by promise. When you... Try to put that yoke back on again and again and again. Church, that's slavery. It's slavery. And what we're going to see this in, in, in this morning's passage is, is really the, the part B of, of Paul's warning. See, when we run with our freedom in the opposite direction of legalism, when we run into licentiousness, we're no better off. 
licentiousness is a big word. We don't use it often. It's kind of like undefiled, which is why, you know, the bulletin was undefiled. Okay, never mind. Now, that was like five minutes ago. Licentiousness is when we abuse the freedom that Christ gives us by living waywardly and immorally. It's when in the name of avoiding legalism, we simply live however we want, indulging our worldly passions and desires all in the name of freedom. But, but, but licentiousness actually comes from the same root as legalism because they are both inherently self-centered, not God-centered, not Christ-centered. Legalism in its most basic form is self Reliant piety, self-reliant religion. But licentiousness, in its most basic form, is self-centered pleasure. Licentiousness and legalism are, are, are merely two different cells in the same prison. The prison of our flesh. And we're going to see that word a lot in our passage that we're about to read. That word, flesh. And so we need to know, we need to understand that when the Bible speaks of our flesh, it is most often not referring to yours and my physical bodies. It's rather referring to yours and my sinful nature. The sinful nature that resides within us all. The sinful nature that you and I have inherited from our first parents. We're all related, you know, Adam and Eve. See, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden, they separated themselves from him. They took on a new posture. They took on a new nature. They traded a God-centered nature for a self-centered nature, sinful nature. And then they passed that new nature down to their offspring, generation after generation, after generation, which includes you and I and all of us. Every person born of a man and woman has inherited Adam and Eve's sinful, rebellious, separated nature. And a quick commercial as we approach the Advent season, this is precisely why the sinless Jesus was not born of man and woman, but by the Holy Spirit through the Virgin Mary he didn't inherit what we have inherited. So let's read our passage and remember as we do that Paul here is in mid-thought. He's just finished telling the Galatians that they must not squander their freedom in Christ by running back to legalism, but they also mustn't abuse their freedom by indulging the desires of their flesh, the desires of their sinful nature. So that's the thought, that's the train of thought that we're going to step right into the middle of as we read uh, Galatians chapter 5 starting in verse 16. Here's Paul to the Galatians. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are 
are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, what we have before us is a very simple and yet remarkable passage. One that I have admittedly struggled with this week. Help me and help my brothers and sisters before me to understand this passage. Holy Spirit, teach it to us. Convict us. Encourage us. Groom us into the image of our Savior and our King. In whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, in, the, uh, in, the, in the classic Gothic novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, travel back with me to you know middle school literature class for a moment, we're told the story of a well-respected physician named Henry Jekyll and a conscienceless monster of a man named Mr. Hyde. Mr. Hyde acts in ways that Dr. Jekyll would never dream of, and Dr. Jekyll acts in ways that Mr. Hyde is, is incapable of. And the brilliance of the story, spoiler alert, in case you were going to run to the library after this gathering, spoiler alert, that the, the brilliance of the story is found in the fact that Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde are the same man. They're the same man with two natures. And I sometimes wonder as I'm reminded of that story, if that story isn't an autobiography of my life. And I don't know if you can relate to that. Because sometimes I act in ways that shock me. I think in ways that shock me sometimes. I speak in ways that shock me. Does anyone else with me this morning ever feel like you're caught in the middle of a war between two natures? between two sets of opposing desires? I mean, look, for those of us in Christ, I know that we don't really want to gossip about our brother or sister, but somehow in the moment we just can't help ourselves. I know that we don't really want to look at those images online again and again, but in the moment we do it anyway. 
I know that we don't want to be a, a materialistic consumer, but somehow we just keep buying all of this junk we don't need. I know we don't want to deep down lash out at our spouse or our, our children. I know we don't want to keep drinking too much. I know we don't want to keep judging those who drink. I know we don't want to feel hatred toward those who voted differently from us last week. But goodness, we keep doing these things. The truth is, and it's at the heart of this passage, something that Paul is regularly tortured with, there are two competing natures at work in every Christian. The sinful nature of the flesh and the renewed nature of the Spirit of God within us. And the desires of these natures, they yield obvious but opposite fruit and results. So I'm not going to give my outline ahead of time because it's embarrassingly simple. So point number one, let's look at the desires of the flesh. Verse 17, the desires of the flesh, Paul says, are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. Right here, look, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. At the moment of Christian conversion... When we are first saved, the Holy Spirit enters our formerly dead hearts. And when the Bible refers to our heart, it's referring to the epicenter of all of our desires and dreams and will. The Holy Spirit enters our formerly dead in sin hearts to begin a new work, new life, Renewing us with a Christ-like nature. This all just happens in the blink of, of a moment in conversion and regeneration. And as the Holy Spirit takes up residence, it wants to spread to all of the different rooms that are, that are the, you know, the, the apartment of our hearts, right? It wants to just move right in, but he's met, the Holy Spirit, with opposition, Opposition from our flesh, the sinful desire within us that's been clinging to power since the day we were born. And Jesus tells us in John 3, our flesh loves the darkness. Our flesh wars against the spirit. It wants to keep power. Verse 19, Paul just kind of states it plainly. Here Here's what the flesh looks like. The works of the flesh are, they're evident. They, they're they're kind of obvious, most of them. Sexual immorality, that refers to any sexual sin. Impurity, any kind of moral uncleanness is what that is. Sensuality is indecent and wanton behavior. Sensuality is a general disrespect for what is good and right. Idolatry literally is, is the worship of other gods, of idols. But, but we, we find idolatry in our quest to find our identity and security in anything and anyone other than the one true God. Sorcery, we don't see that word a whole lot unless you're reading the Harry Potter series. The worship of what is evil is sorcery, but there's, there's a little bit more packed into this. It can include like the black magic, you know, the, the deliberate worship of the devil, but the Greek word for Micaiah, 
which we get sorcery from, is, is really the same word that we use for pharmacy. It implies the mixing of lethal poisons and potions. So what we see is street drugs coming out of this. And we see the materials used for abortion and euthanasia. Sorcery. Enmity is social and political and racial and religious hostility toward others. It's hatred. Strife is the rivalry and discord which comes from a quarrelsome spirit. Jealousy is the burning desire to have that which belongs to someone else. Fits of anger, clearly, they're, they're rage-filled outbursts. Rivalries, the desire to get ahead at the expense of someone else. Dissensions and divisions are the taking of sides in those rivalries. Envy is that we're unhappy when others or a particular person succeeds. Drunkenness, the overindulgence of alcohol. And orgies are not just sexual in nature, but they are wild parties of absolutely um, limitless eating and drinking and consuming. What's amazing about this list that Paul gives concerning the works of the flesh, I don't know if you noticed, nobody's spared. You may not regularly participate in, in orgies or sorcery, but do you have a quarrelsome spirit? And don't ask yourself. Ask your spouse. Ask the people in your CG, your community group for you new people. Paul goes even further in verse 26. It's like he suddenly remembered more <laughs> to list. He adds conceit. This one is striking and provoking one another. He adds these to the list. Now, the wording here is no doubt referring to those who are spiritually prideful. Those who walk with an air of superiority about them and they provoke others in debates. Now, many churches might call this the gift of boldness, but Paul calls it arrogance. No one on this list is spared. If things like these describe our, listen to my words carefully, if things like this list Describe our pattern of living. Our pattern. Paul says in verse 21 that we are not among those who will inherit the kingdom of God. Because if things like these describe our pattern of living, then what that ultimately demonstrates is that we in fact are not free in Christ that the saving faith we claim is ultimately inauthentic and that we are still sprinting headlong into the licentious desires of our flesh. If the things like these describe our pattern of living, day in, day out, month in, month out, year in, year out, decade in, decade out, if these things describe our pattern, Holy Spirit, awaken us. Because those who have truly been indwelled by the Holy Spirit 
will bear the fruit of the Spirit, point number two. Just as a fruit-bearing tree naturally and inevitably produces fruit, so a life controlled by God's Spirit will naturally and inevitably express the Spirit's fruit. Naturally and inevitably, fruit is often slow-growing. There's a reason why Paul uses these agricultural terms. Let's be patient with one another. Let's be patient with ourselves. If you can look back on the last five years of your life and see some room for growth, praise the Lord. Fruit is slow growing, but it is inevitable. It's going to come out. And the fruit of the Spirit, verse 22, is love which according to the Galatians for you commentary is a sacrificial, unmerited service toward, those, toward others based on their intrinsic value. Not based on what we can get from others or what they've done from us in the past, but it's a service toward others that is simply based on the fact that they've been created in the image of God. And then there's joy. Joy is a delight in God for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Doesn't that sound marvelous? Give me joy, Lord. Peace. It's a confidence and it's a rest in the wisdom and control of God rather than any control we seem to think we have. That's peace. Don't you want that? Patience. The ability to face trouble without blowing up. Kindness springs from a deep inner security and it's the ability to serve others practically with our hands, acts of kindness. Goodness can also be translated integrity. And I love what this commentary states. It's, it's being the same person in every situation rather than being a phony hypocrite. That's goodness. Faithfulness is to be utterly reliable and true to your word. Man, some of us who serve in the children's ministry need to hear that one. When we sign up for something, let's serve. Amen? Gentleness. It's a humble meekness. It's the opposite of superior self-absorption. And self-control is the ability to pursue what's important over what's urgent. Don't you love those qualifying definitions? Against these things, Paul's point is that there is no law. Because if we're led by the Holy Spirit, verse 18, the Spirit of Christ, we're essentially fulfilling the law. Because remember from last week how Paul really just kind of dissected this idea. The whole law is fulfilled when we love God and others, which is something that we could never do in our own strength. The Holy Spirit must do it through us. But he does it. Paul urges the Galatians and us in verse 25. Brothers and sisters here, come on. Live by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Verse 17, walk with 
the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Do you hear that amazing promise? Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Those things, those desires that vie for our allegiance and our attention, that battle between the natures that's going on, we simply must walk by the Spirit, and we will not do those things that we hate. That's, that's what the promise is stating. And our striving is not to appease God in the power of our own strength. We strive to walk by the Spirit to please God in the power of His strength. We do this by walking by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit is the only way not to carry out the desires of the flesh. And so it begs a very simple question, and we're sitting at about 25 minutes in, and I'm going to take five minutes to answer this question. How do we walk by the Spirit? Is anyone else dying to know? Amen. I mean, this is the battle, the daily battle of every Christian. I was talking with my mom about this passage yesterday, and she reminded me of something profound. She said that every moment we are not walking by the Spirit, we're walking by the flesh. It's either or. There's no middle ground here. This is a war between our fleshly hearts being overwhelmed by the love and spirit of God and he is just trying to purge it out of every pore. Which are we giving into in each moment? It's a sobering question. Every moment the spirit is not producing life-giving fruit in us, the flesh is doubling down, producing death-inducing sin in us. I wonder if we recognize it as black and white as that. I know that I often don't. Walking by the Spirit begins the moment we open our eyes each day. That's when it starts. So let's ask ourselves a couple of questions. When our eyes open, where have we trained our minds to go first? The news feed? Social media? Email? Do our minds, are we allowing them to go right back to lingering resentment from the day before? Or harbored bitterness? Paul writes, no, 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 no to the Philippian church. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, or worthy of praise, right away, as soon as your eyes open up, think about these things. Put your mind on these things. Set your minds on the things that are above, he writes to the Colossian church. Set your minds on the things that are above where Christ is, not on things that are on earth. Put to death what's earthly in you. You used to walk in these things, but now we get to put off the old self with all of its practices. We get to put on the new self that is being renewed in knowledge in the, after the image of our creator. We get to do this. Walking by the Spirit means engaging with the Spirit in the word he inspired, in knowledge, in the image of its creator. Jesus walked by the Spirit. He was, he was inundated with the word. Inundated. His monthly cue probably looked a little different than ours. Instead of Parks and Rec and The Office and Downton Abbey and The Walking Dead and all of these other things that just vie for the gray space of our lives, Jesus, 
His cue was Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers is actually a TV show on Netflix, so that kind of has like a, there's like a double entendre there. (laughs) What are we saturating ourselves in day after day after day? Is it feeding the spirit inside us or is it feeding our flesh? Continue steadfastly in prayer, Colossians 4.2. We ought not, in our desire to walk by the Spirit, we should not, we cannot miss an opportunity to draw near to the throne of grace to simply ask for help, for strength, for wisdom, and for victory. Walking by the Spirit means asking the Spirit to show us the way out when our flesh wants to indulge. We know it's coming. We know our flesh is about to be tempted. Why not stop, drop, and roll right into prayer? That was so bad. I'm sorry. As our mind starts to crave those addictive images, as our tongue starts to utter the words of gossip, as our temper begins to boil toward our spouse or our kids, as our need to win an argument starts to to, to rise from the ground, stop and ask God, help me, Spirit of God, to walk by your Spirit. Remind me of the gospel that I've been set free and that which I want to participate in in this moment is actually to my enslavement and to my death. You Have joy and joy everlasting for me and help me to believe it right now. Walking by the Spirit also means being willing to call the works of the flesh what they really are in our lives. They're flagrant, deadly sins. It's not just another slip up, young man. It's sexual immorality. And those whose lives are marked by sexual immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not just venting to a friend, young lady. It is division, it is dissension, it is envy, it is gossip, and those who are marked by it will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not just a grumpy temper tantrum. It is a fit of anger. We have to be willing to call what is fleshly in us flesh. No wonder the church looks so much like the world. We don't call it as it is. It's not just another night of one too many drinks. You're a drunk. And those who are drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's not just another innocent shopping spree. It is idolatry. And those whose lives are marked by it will not inherit the kingdom of God. Walking by the Spirit empowers us to call sin, sin, to label it as such, and to crucify it. Are we willing to call flesh, flesh? Are we willing, (coughs) excuse me, to surround ourselves with Ideally, the people in our community group, the people that are in our regular patterns, motions of life, 
Are we willing to surround ourselves with those people and then to give them verbal permission face-to-face, please, if you see the flesh in me, lovingly, gently, humbly, prayerfully come to me and tell me because it's killing me. It feels good in the moment, but I know it's a prison cell. So remind me of the gospel that frees me. Help drag me out of that cell. Help me call out flesh when you see it in my life. I I am afraid to do a show of hands. I'm not going to. How many of us have asked somebody to do that? How many of us have asked someone who loves us enough to remind us of verse 24 that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? That those who belong to Christ are called to take up the cross of self-denial, executing the desires of our old, wayward, fleshly selves that we might be raised with Christ. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we also will appear with him in glory. The wonderful and brilliant news of Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26 is that the species of licentiousness that you and I might see coursing through our veins can be put to death when we walk by the Spirit. And it sounds like we're just beating a dead horse, but we we will not do that if we are not feasting on the Word, if we are not running to the spirit in prayer if we are not surrounding by uh, ourselves with people who are willing to help us call sin what sin actually is but if we do those things church do we not believe the manifold blessing of God will be on us that the pleasures and the joys and the riches of knowing him in his crucifixion as we deny ourselves, that it, it, it far outweighs what we could possibly be spending our time indulging in the flesh. Do we believe that? I hope that we are a church that believes that. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to plainly state that when I look at that list and I look at the, the parts of the list that are a little bit more accepted by the culture around me, you know, I'm not falling into orgies and sorcery and I don't think that my brothers and sisters in large here are either. But when I look at the sins on that list that have become socially acceptable, like rivalry and dissension and spiritual pride and arrogance, my heart breaks. I see myself in it. 
Lord, let it not be that if any of my brothers and sisters here can relate, let it not be that our lives would be marked by these things any further. But Lord, let us be a church that walks by the Spirit, displaying and producing by your grace the fruit of the Spirit, which are contrary to those things of the flesh. Let us in the moments, God, when we feel that battle between our desires, let us run to you for help in time of need and let us receive it as we walk in victory, God. Let us be a church that next year at this time is walking in a deeper sense of sanctification than we are right now. Let us be patient with ourselves and with one another as we strive to follow you. That fruit is often slow going, but it's inevitable. So let us look forward to it with great anticipation and joy and expectation. Let us be a church that bears the fruit of the Spirit. Let us be a church that walks by the Spirit of the living God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.